Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, as you grow up in life, you, know, you grow up as a kid and become an adult and, and you look down the road of life and, and um, you have expectations about what that's going to be and you think you're realistic about it. But what I discovered is that in my life, I have ended up facing things. I have had situations, things that I had to deal with that came into my life that I never had even thought would happen. Big things, right? Hard things, things that the ramifications of were huge. You know, the ripple effects and what it could cause. And so we find ourselves facing these big things in our lives and, and sometimes it's overwhelming. I, I, in my own life, I remember uh, some of these key places in my life where the problem was just bigger than I knew what to do with. <laughs> I mean, way bigger and way harder and it felt kind of dark. You know, I couldn't see way out of it. I, I, I just didn't know, you know, maybe that starts with a, with a phone call. <laughs> that you receive or a visit from someone or you, you learn something somehow and, and it, you start to look at all the ripple effects and it's like, oh man, I don't know what's gonna happen. Have you ever experienced that in life? Where all of a sudden things came along now you're having to deal with it that you never thought I'd ever have to deal with anything like this? Um, and it's big. Well, I would say for me in those times in my life when, when I've been faced with those huge things, that for me they were huge and they may or may not have been huge for you, but me they were huge, okay? They were those big things in my life I didn't, I was overwhelmed, didn't know how to deal with. That the end result of these things is that God worked. God worked. And, and didn't necessarily take away those problems, but he worked. And, and led me through them and got me through them. But he, he, he used those things in my life actually to change me. To change me in ways that, that are good. To change me in ways that when I talk to you today, I'm able to talk to you in a way and about things that I wouldn't have been able to do if God had not taken me through those things. So God can take those really, really big things in our lives and, and use them in great ways. And, and there are ways that when you look back on it, you say, you know what, I, I hope I never got to do that again. And yet you say, I would never want to give up what God did in my life as a result. But sometimes it doesn't go that way in a person's life, even in a Christian's life. Sometimes it doesn't come out that way in the end. Well, is there something that you and I can do in our lives that will prepare us so that when we reach that point, when those things happen, that we are where, you know, we're in the position we need to be in to be able to deal with it? Are there any things we can do, you know, to, to make sure that those things don't destroy us, you know, that we can go forward and God can use it? What can we do? Is there anything we can do to prepare? And, and our story today, and my story is a true story. The events we're going to look at today address that for us. 
Helps us understand things we can do to be ready when that big thing comes into our lives. And so we have been here, and this is our ninth sermon in this series, A Great Cloud of Witnesses, talking about Old Testament figures and the events that went on in their lives. And uh, so go ahead and put that slide up if you would, Matt. We want to see how long, so just give you a framework, okay? So our first one, we looked at Adam and Eve. And then 1,650 years passed. These are rounded numbers, okay? 1,650 years passed, and then we talked about Noah and the flood. And then another 450 years passed, and, and we had the stories of Abraham and Isaac. 200 more years passed, and we got Joseph in Egypt. Another 230 years passed, and we see the Exodus, right? Israel coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea. And then, this is the only place in our stuff that we have a few days pass. And then we have the story of, of Israel in the wilderness and how God provided for them with the manna. 40 more years pass, we have Joshua leading the people of Israel into the promised land and confronting Jericho where God miraculously brought the, brought the walls down. Another 260 years that we saw the story we talked about last week, Gideon with his 300 soldiers that God used to you know, just to miraculously defeat uh, hundreds, over 100,000 other soldiers. And then we go another 165 years and we come to David and Goliath, all right? So what's interesting to me is that this is like a little trivia. So if you're ever playing trivia games, you might, this might be of help to you. Probably not, but. <laughs> so from the first story of Adam and Eve to David and Goliath's story is about 3,000 years. And, and then from David and Goliath to us is about 3,000 years. So the story we're gonna look at today, like right in the middle of recorded human history, okay? Uh, this doesn't really have much to do with the sermon today, but I thought you might enjoy the the trivia. So let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be on page, start on page 330 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. If you, if you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, you can grab one of those underneath the chairs and we encourage you to do so to follow along with us. 1 Samuel chapter 17, page 330 is where we're starting. Now the context for this is that, <coughs> excuse me, um, David has been, um, David in the chapter before we are introduced to him and he is a shepherd boy, uh, he's the son of Jesse and uh, he takes care of the sheep and Samuel the prophet has, God has led him to uh, this family and then he actually anoints David to become the king of Israel. And David is not the king of Israel yet, but he anoints him, you are going to be the king that God is choosing. And um, <clears throat> David is an extremely crucial person in our understanding of the Bible and Christianity. Not just because he occurs in the middle of uh, our history, uh, but because God makes promises to David. The Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart, and he has a heart that's just uh, connects with God and is open to God. Um, responsive to God. He has that kind of a heart. And then God makes promises to David that he's fulfilled part of, but he hasn't fulfilled it all yet. Promises to David that he will still fulfill one day. Okay? And Christ is, is a, a descendant of David physically. And so David has this crucial part in the history of Judaism and Christianity. And so we're going to uh, read here today about his first great exploit. 
So chapter 17, verse one, it says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. The Philistines, by the way, were always enemies of Israel. The Philistines were probably from a Greek culture. They were known as people from the sea. And they came and they settled in the coastline of Israel and then they would push in and from time to time. And so the battle would go back and forth over the years where the Philistine border was, okay? Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephestamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So let's just, since it's giving us these places, let's set in our minds where these places are. So go ahead, first map. We've, we've looked at this map a number of times. Here's Egypt, this is where Israel had been in captivity and they came out of captivity and headed down this way. Pharaoh's armies pursued them. Remember, they, God miraculously led them across the Red Sea and then they came into the wilderness area uh, where God provided them manna and for 40 years and eventually they crossed over into the land of Israel. And the Valley of Elah is right there in the middle of Israel. Yeah, go to the next slide there. Go ahead and go to the next one, Matt. There we go. So here we are in the middle of Israel, Dead Sea over here, uh, the Mediterranean over here. This is the area, land of Judah. Go ahead and go to the next one. And we can see, uh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Matt. We'll go, there we go, thank you. So this is the Valley of Elah. You see mountainous areas on the sides and around it, but this is the Valley of Elah, okay? And uh, go to the next slide. What we see is that the Philistines were encamped on this side in these mountains, Israel on these sides in this mountain, and this valley in between. And this is not a, a really huge valley here, okay? And so this is where they were encamped. Um, so go back to that map for just a moment. So what I'll show you is here's the Philistines on this side, this on this side. I had the privilege of being there this summer in the Valley of Elah. And so let me show you a couple pictures. Go ahead now. So on this side, that was that left side, that's the Philistines. And then on the other side was Israel, okay, up here. And then out here in the middle was this valley in between. This is a panorama picture, so it's a little distorted. But you get the idea, right? Okay. So that is the valley. No, we don't want there yet, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So this is the setting. This is where they are at. Verse number four. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now a cubit uh, was generally considered to be about the distance from the man's elbow to the end of his, you know, his forearm, okay? And the average cubit is about 18 inches is what it was normally considered to be. A span is the span of your hand from here to here, and it's about nine inches, okay, on average. So that makes Goliath nine foot, nine inches tall. And now that's a big guy, isn't it? All right, and so we start thinking, wait a minute, I don't know, you know, is that, I mean, you can understand why someone who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't understand how the, that the word of God is true and all that might question that. But I want to show you something, that human beings can grow to these kinds of sizes. So let's go to that slide now, Matt, all right? So this is a, a actually documented case, a picture of Robert, Wadlow, eight feet, 11 inches. He's born just a little under 100 years ago. And 
uh, he lived. He lived to be about 22 years old, I think. And um, he had, uh, it was a disorder, it's called gigantism. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's, it shows up here. And it's pretty rare, but it, it shows up. And it's normally caused by a tumor of some kind pressing up against the pituitary gland. And what that does is it stimulates it to produce growth hormone. And so these you know, people, they just grow and grow. And they're little kids. They're the size of teenagers, and they just keep growing. And uh, so it becomes a physical problem. But... Um, that's, this is not what Goliath would have been. Goliath would have been more genetic because he actually has family members who are also bigger. Um, whereas this guy's uh, family members were not bigger. Go to that next slide. Show him it with his family there. Um, so his, the rest of his family is all normal size. See his little brother on the end? He's really little, isn't he? <laughs> Compared to uh, Robert. Um, but what I, the reason I show you this is, is for you to see that there is nothing that prevents, there's no physiological reason why you can't have a, a person who's nine foot, nine inches tall, okay? It has occurred. Uh, and so we see it here. That is a big guy. Verse five, let's read on. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Uh, and shekels, uh, the, well, the, it's about 40 shekels. This is a weight. This isn't money as such. This is a weight. 40 shekels per pound. And so this is about 125 pounds of armor uh, that this big man would have had on. By the way, a guy who's nine foot nine probably would weigh close to 500 pounds. Okay? So uh, we're just getting the idea of the size of this person. So his armor weighed 125 pounds, verse 6, and he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders, probably in a um, uh, pouch. And the pouch isn't the right word, but a sheath on his, uh, between his shoulders. And now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's 15 pounds, the spearhead. And a shield bearer went before him. Okay, so this is who is there. And then let's see what he does. It says, then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel. Before I go any farther, I want, I'm going to point out some things for you to notice as we go by. And they will be really significant to us later. But I want you to see how the Philistine sees these soldiers. He sees them as the armies of what? Israel. Okay. Israel's mean descendants of Israel. Descendants of Jacob. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? There's a second way that he looks at them. You're the servants of Saul. Saul's your leader. All true. But it's only on a human perspective, isn't it? There's only a human perspective here. Nothing else. Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the, and the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And so you can envision between these two sides, the armies on either side, you know, every day they'd kind of get up in a rally like they're gonna fight and then Goliath would step out into the valley and issue his challenge, okay? And that's why do we all need to try to kill each other? Let's have one battle, just one. And we'll settle it that way, okay? 
And notice again, he just he says, I defy the armies of Israel. That phrase is going to become important. Okay, so keep that in mind. All right, verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Yes, who wants to go fight Goliath? You know, not me. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, no, they're afraid, and, I, and we get this, okay? Uh, that's their response. Now, David, so David comes into the story. Now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. So David's dad, Jesse, was older. David's the youngest. The three eldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. And the three oldest followed Saul, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So let's just stop right there. David being the youngest, the youngest was typically given the responsibility of watching over the sheep, being the shepherd, being out there in the field. That was his responsibility. And so he goes back and makes sure all the time that that is being taken care of. And that's going to be important too. Verse 16, and the Philistines drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Okay, so that's what's going on. Then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers. Let me back up just a minute. So um, David is not there when the Philistine is making his challenge, right? Because where's David? Taking care of the sheep. He's, he's taking care of his responsibility. All right. Verse 17. Then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. All right. So David has the responsibility of taking sheep. Now his father has given him additional responsibilities. He's given him specific instructions. And he says, take now. In other words, right away. Now I'm guessing the way the rest of the story goes, that was probably in the evening, okay, at night. But he said, take now, do it now, and when you get there, run to your brothers in the camp. Run to them. You know, you're dropping off the stuff where you're supposed to, and then run to your brothers and find out how they're going. So these instructions, these responsibilities are given to him. Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Verse 20, so David rose early in the morning. His dad said, go now, and what's he do? He's up first thing and does what? Goes, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper. The sheep were his responsibility, so what did he do? He makes sure that there's somebody to care for the sheep. He's fulfilling his responsibility. He left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went, and this is an important phrase, as Jesse had commanded him, as his father told him. In other words, he has been given responsibilities, and what's he doing? He's fulfilling his responsibilities exactly the way he's supposed to, the way that he's been told to do this, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. So there's some timing things here going on. Uh, David is fulfilling his responsibility. And as he's doing that, other things are happening. As this 
You know, as he did this, this happened. As he does this, this happens. It's all important to understanding this. Verse 21, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. And what's the next word? Ran. What did his father tell him? Drop these off and do what? Run. I mean, you think, what? Really? That specific? It is that specific. At least David took it that specific, didn't he? Okay, so he's running and finding them. Okay, so he ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Verse 23, another timing word, then. As he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. How was it that David heard them? Well, David heard them because he decided to get up first thing early in the morning and go do what he was supposed to do, fulfilling his responsibilities. He heard them because when he brought this stuff to camp, he drops the supplies off and then he, he runs to find his brothers. What if David hadn't got up early? Because father said, go do this now. It's, it's important now. It's time. What if he hadn't done it? He'd taken his time. He wouldn't have been there when Goliath came out. What if, if uh, after he got there and dropped off the supplies, he didn't run to his brothers? He took his time. He would have what? He wouldn't have been there when Goliath comes. But because David is doing what he's supposed to do, the way that he's supposed to do it, he ends up being where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. Okay, this is really important. All right, so David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. Okay, stop that. How are they seeing this battle now? They're seeing this battle the same way Goliath did, right? It's, it's men, it's humans, and it's the servants of Saul and the Philistines and, and our armies, the armies of They're seeing it exactly the same way. By the way, anytime you start looking at yourself and identifying yourself the way the enemy wants to identify you, you put yourself in a real bind. Satan wants you to believe things about yourself that are not true. He wants you to believe things about your circumstances that are not true. And he may not just overtly lie to you. He may just try to get you to think of it in human terms only. You get that what I'm talking about? If we're only thinking it's only about you, me, what's happening in this life and all this stuff, that's where he wants us to be. And this is, they're, they're fearful because of it. So the middle of verse 25, it continues, and it says, And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, in, in marriage is the idea, and give his father's house exemption from taxes, and Israel tax-free. And so King Saul is trying to induce somebody to go fight this giant. And if you can win, man, here's what I'll do for you. Because nobody's stepping up, and so he's trying to, you know, motivate them. Well, let's do it for this, and let's do it for that. And there's nothing wrong with providing a reward, but do you see what's going on here? Is that here's God's people who don't even see themselves as God's people and they aren't doing what needs to be done. They aren't seeing it. And, and they're trying with other methods to get them. To, it's just a mess. And they're all in fear and everything is at a stalemate. So let's continue. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? and takes away the reproach from Israel. Let's stop there for just a moment. David says, what? And 
here's my understanding as I look at this passage and read it, and I'll show you why in just a minute. David wasn't asking about what the reward is because he was interested in the reward. He was asking because he, like, he couldn't believe it. That what? <laughs> Somebody needs this reward to entice you, to motivate you. What's the deal? What's up with this? Why is the king having to offer? He's offered what? You, you understand? Now, here's why I say that, because let's pick up in the rest of that verse. Verse 26, again, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Here's why. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? All right. He sees this as a whole different thing, doesn't he? Uncircumcised Philistine, what it means is he's not keeping the law. He's unclean spiritually, and, and he has defied not just the servants of Saul. He has defied not just Israel, but he's defied who? The armies of the living God. Do you see the different perspective that David has than Goliath had and then the, the Israelites had? They have this perspective. This is all it is. But David says, no, 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 it's not this. This is about God. And it makes all the difference in the world. Verse 27, and the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done. That's what the king's saying. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. David is making his older brother look bad here, okay? And he said, why did you come down here, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? <laughs> See, David is seeing this whole thing completely different than the rest of them. And by the way, they all should have seen it this way, shouldn't they? They all should have seen it this way. But they didn't. David did. Verse 30, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And those people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul and he sent for him. Okay, so King Saul gets word of this. Well, send this man to me. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, talking about himself, will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're crazy. That's not really, it's in the Hebrew or something. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. So let's stop. What's he saying? I have experience here. I know how to do this, okay? I have the skills that are necessary. And if we stopped there, we would think, okay, David's just, you know, a great warrior. And he may have been, but we've seen David sees this differently, doesn't he? And I want to show you what he's learned. Let's look there in verse 36 again. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me 
from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. So what does he tell us? When I was the shepherd and I'm out there and here comes the lion for the sheep, I might have been scared. We don't know this, right? But he said, I got to do this. I got to be. And he steps up and does it. And what's he discover? The Lord delivers him. The Lord uses it, enables him to do that. And he sees it. This is the Lord. And, and then, you know, the bear, the same thing. You know, it, he, he has learned that this is God who is at work in his life. These issues that are going on in his life, uh, he's seeing are about the Lord and what God is doing. And he's, God has already prepared him for this. Because when the lion showed up, did David run away? No, he stood and did what he was supposed to do. He was faithful to his responsibilities. When the bear showed up, did he run away? No, he stayed there and was faithful to his responsibilities. And he learned something about God and how God works. God gave him the skills and the faith, and he did those things. So the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you, because you're going to need it, right? But so what I want you to see is that here David is in the basic duties of being a shepherd, and he's just doing that. And the shepherd was not the glamorous job. It was the one you gave to the youngest. It wasn't a glamorous job. But what he learned there prepared him for what? For Goliath. And the way he learned to see the world here enabled him to see the world that way here with Goliath. All right, so let's read on. So, David, so Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Can't use the traditional armor. I'm not used to this. I'm not going to do it. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand. And what's a staff? It's a, a rod. But this was a shepherd's tool, wasn't it? Okay. He picked up what he knows. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So he takes what he has had when he was over here serving God, trusting God, God is working his life. He takes that same stuff over here. Because he knew how to use that stuff and God had used it. All right, let's continue. Verse 42, no, verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, the Philistine's gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then, listen, 
Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Do you think David had any fear? We aren't hearing or seeing any fear, but what I can't help think, this is the one who, at some point in his life, probably after this, but I'm not sure, wrote, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. See, he's living it here. Verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. So the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. And so this stone from this sling actually you know, goes and probably crushes his skull right in here somewhere and goes into his brain to where this is a mortal wound. And he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. He's making sure. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. You mean they didn't keep the agreement? <laughs> no, they fled. <laughs> All right, now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. So um, they defeated the Philistines because of what David had done. And a powerful lesson learned for um, all of them that there is a God in Israel. And so, uh, Sometimes these stories, I go online and look up for artwork, paintings, and things like that have been done over the, the centuries and find them. And there's some really strange paintings of this event. Some that I look at and go, ooh. Uh, but anyway, I found this one. This is probably a pretty modern thing. But I really like this because I think it kind of captures the essence. Goliath is charging. David is charging and slings. And we see this is ferocity, the, the battle. And of course, then God takes down Goliath with David's stone. Um, but here's what I want you to understand and remember as we start in talking about how this all applies to us. There will be giants in your life. They will come. If they haven't already, they will. If you've already faced some giants, you'll probably face some more. And those things can be whatever kinds of things come into your life that are just big and overwhelming. And from a purely human perspective, you see, I don't see any way these giants will come into your life. And so uh, the first thing I want you to know is that God is bigger than any giant that comes into your life. God is more powerful than any giant that comes into your life. The lies that Satan wants to whisper to you and get you to believe, listen, greater is he who is in you than he's in the world. He is greater than any problems you face. Remember that. So next time you find yourself in one of those situations where you're going, oh, I, what in the world am I going to do? Well, I know one thing for sure. God is bigger than this problem. God is bigger than this problem. He's more powerful than the things that are working against me here. Believe that. See it that way. Now, if, if you are going to learn to be able to face these giants, there are some things you can do. 
to be ready. And you'll never be completely ready. That's part of what faith is about. But you can be ready. The first thing is this. You'll need to learn to see God in what's going on. Go ahead and put that up there if you would, Matt. Learn to see God in what's going on. I mean, here, this whole situation, we read about it. Goliath didn't see God in the mix, did he? Sad thing is the armies of Israel didn't see God in the mix. But David did. How, How could David see God in the mix here? Well, it's because David knew what God had said. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Be page 224 in the Bible that's there in the chairs. Deuteronomy chapter 20. There's some instructions given to Israel and um, its priests before they came into the promised land. Chapter 20 and verse number one of Deuteronomy says, when you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. Would it be natural to be afraid of them? Sure it would, but he says, don't be afraid of them. For the Lord your God is with you. For who brought you up from the land of Egypt? So it shall be when you are on the verge of battle that the priest shall approach and speak to the people. I was like, the preacher needs to come and remind them of this. Verse three, and he shall say to them, hear, O Israel, today you are on the verge of battle with your enemies. Do not let your heart faint. Do not be afraid and do not tremble or be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. You see, don't you see David demonstrating that awareness and that confidence? We do, don't we? By the way, do you think believing this would change how you went into battle? Yeah, you could go in and be a fierce warrior, couldn't you, if you really believe this and remember this and act on it? Well, when you learn to see God in the middle of what's going on and you remember what his word says, It'll change how you face that giant. By the way, preacher, all time, stand up and tell you, read your Bible, spend time in the Word, you know, study it, meditate on it. And it can sound like, ah, just he keeps telling me to do something. Do, do, what's it? Here it is, right? David needed to know this when the battle came. How could he know? He knew it from the Word. And you and I need to be in the word, learning it, growing it, getting that perspective on life so that when the giant is there, we already have this understanding of how God works. We may not know the solution to this problem, but we know this, that God is here. God is at work and he's bigger than this and he can work in my life and and make a huge difference here. You need to know the word. So, How can we prepare for these giants? Well, understand this truth, and we see it in David's life. God will use your current responsibilities to get you where he wants you to be. Go ahead and move to that if you would, Matt. Go ahead, ahead. yeah. God will use your current responsibilities to get you where he wants you to be, when you need to be there, prepared for what you'll need to do there. 
And isn't that exactly what happened in David's life? He had his responsibilities. He's a shepherd. He's taking care of that. Dad is giving him responsibilities. He's taking care of that. We know that he's fought the lion. He's fought the bear. All this taking, he's being faithful in all of his responsibilities. And he's being faithful now in his responsibilities as dad gave him. And what's it do? It gets him where God wants him to be. And it gets him there when he needs to be there, right? Right when Goliath is stepping up, that's when it gets him there. And it gets him there prepared. He's prepared because not only has he gained the skills, right? He's also gained the confidence and the faith in God. But what if David had not been faithful as a shepherd? What if he had ran away when the lion showed up or the bear showed up? What if he'd run away? Would he be prepared over here? No. If he hadn't been faithful, what if he hadn't been faithful to really do what his dad said and follow those instructions? Would he have been here when he was supposed to be? No. You see, see how this works? And what happens in our lives, if we are not faithful in the responsibilities that God has already given us now, we end up in places unprepared for the giant that comes into our life. We are unprepared. And that'll wipe you out. And so, you start to see how significant what, you, what God has given you to do today is. It's not just about today. It's about him using this in your life to get you where he wants you to be, when he wants you to be there, prepared for when you get there. That's what he wants to do. And so we need to look at our lives today and think, what are my responsibilities? What responsibilities has God given me? And, and if you look at your life and you say, oh, I have these responsibilities, but I don't really think that God gave these to me. I've kind of added these in. Well, then get rid of them. Figure out how to get rid of them. Make the transition. But the responsibilities you look at in your life and say, these are responsibilities from God. Like, okay, I am a, a, a believer. I'm a follower of Christ. I have certain responsibilities because of that. Some of that responsibility is a follower of Christ. And by the way, everything I do in my life now, I have to fulfill this responsibility. I'm a follower of Christ in every part of my life. Okay. That means I also have a relationship with my church. God has given me that responsibility. I, have a, I need to be faithful in the responsibility of relationship with my church. If I'm a husband or a wife, I need to be responsible in that relationship. If I'm a parent, I need to be a responsible parent. If I have a job or if I'm an employer, I need to be responsible in those situations, be faithful in it. If I, I, I'm a neighbor, I have neighbors that I have certain responsibilities toward. I'm a citizen, I have certain responsibilities here. And, and we wanna say, we need to be faithful to these things. By the way, that gets hard sometimes. Because sometimes this responsibility seems to pull this way and this responsibility seems to pull that way and other responsibilities. And let me give you an example. Uh, so if you are, have a career, whether you're the, the husband or the wife, the parent, doesn't matter. You have a career and you're thinking, oh man, right now is a crucial time. I have to devote myself to the, my career. And yeah, I know that means I can't really be there for my family right now. And I know that means I can't really be, you know, uh, serve the Lord in my church and, and be a part of that the way I'm supposed to. I know. I've got to focus on my family and then I'll get to that stuff. Huge mistake. Right? God doesn't take away those responsibilities just because you're challenged here. And what we need to do is we need to go to God and say, God, I have this struggle here and these responsibilities. What do you want me to do? Please help me figure this out. And then you depend on him and you make whatever decisions you think you need to make. But you're taking in what? Making those decisions yielded to God. 
because you're seeing the world around you differently. Let me give you another example. I mean, a, a pastor, um, um, excuse me, the, the professor I had who had been a pastor who taught me how to study the Bible and get into it and really figure out what it means. An awesome man, made such a difference in my life. He told the story to us one day and I've had personal conversations with him about it later. He said, when I was a young man and in the ministry, he said, I devoted myself completely to serving the Lord and the church and I thought, well, I'm serving God here. God will take care of my family. And he set aside those responsibilities largely. And his adult children, one of them was in and out of church and two of them didn't come at all and one of those said he didn't believe in God. And it really affected him in the future, what he could do and do in his life. Very sad, of course he was telling us not to do that. So we have all these responsibilities. And so let's, let's imagine, so you're a believer, that, that means you have a responsibility to your church. There are things that God says you need to be connected with your church. And if you say, well, wait, you know, we, we have kids now, little kids and their schedules and, and this and the other thing, and we just, well, we can't really do that. We can't keep those responsibilities now. We're gonna, huge mistake. Now, I get there's a poll, right? There's a pull, responsibility pull. What I'm saying to you is, don't you dare just say, well, you know what, we can't do that, and set your responsibility aside. Instead, you go to God and say, oh God, what in the world do I do? We're feeling pulled here and stretched here. What do you want me to do? And God will lead you, you know, you'll make your way through and you'll end up being faithful in both areas. And if you don't, here's what happens. As you come down the road and, and you've, you've kind of set your church stuff aside and you show up, and you, but you aren't really there and apart and you aren't taking advantage of the things that are there for you to grow or for helping others to grow. And you set it aside and, and then down the line here, all of a sudden one day it hits you. Some big thing comes up and you think, oh man, we need to, what does God want us to do? And, and you say to your spouse, I think we need to think about what God wants us to do. And your spouse goes, what are you talking about? This hasn't ever been important to you before. Or you'll have some situation where you'll have a child who is now a teenager, an older teenager, maybe even a young adult, who is faced with the really major decisions, decisions that demand an understanding of right and wrong and, and how you know, I make these decisions. And they have no foundation from which to make it because you taught them that church and God and all that is optional. You never said those words, but your life said it. And it may be that you will find yourself at some point facing this huge giant in your life and you don't, and you don't have a clue what to do because you have not been faithful and responsible right along to learn and live and grow so you're ready. It matters, doesn't it? And so here, here's the issue, here's the challenge. And it's not just church, it's any of these responsibilities. All of it's about God. What God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to do? It's all under him. Be faithful now. The life that God has given you now is extremely significant. What you do today, what you do tomorrow, affects not only now, it affects down the road. It affects whether you face the giant like the servants of Saul or David who sees God in the whole mix. It's gonna affect that. And remember, because you gotta be faithful now. There will be giants. They're coming. You need to learn to see God and what's going on. And the good news is this, that God wins. 
and so do we. When we approach life this way, just trying to be faithful to the responsibilities God has entrusted to us and just those responsibilities as he leads, keep being faithful, keep being faithful, keep faithful, God wins. The giant comes, God wins. And so do you with him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for this story and how you teach us through it. I pray, Father, that we would understand that what you've given us to do right now is so significant. Even if it seems boring right now, even if it doesn't make sense to us, if it's from you, Lord, it's significant. And so stir our hearts to be faithful now. Faithful now. And Lord, use us. Help us to see you at work and what's going on. I pray that we, Father, remind us to open your word and learn. How are you involved in what's going on in our lives? What does your word say? And then, Father, I pray that we will just be faithful and look to you to work in our lives, honoring you with that, knowing that you will accomplish your great work through us when we do. Oh, God, challenge us up front. Get in our face about where we're believing a lie that somehow or other we can just bump along and do whatever we feel like. Please don't leave us there. Do your work today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.